Last week we talked about maturing and growing, and I want to follow that up with some things if I could. And the title of my message this morning is, It Takes the Application of the Word of God to Grow. It Takes the Application of the Word to Grow. If you don't apply the Word, you don't grow. It's just that simple. Psalm 12, 6 and 7 says this, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. And God promises us he will always have his word available for mankind. We personally here at the church, we believe not only in God's ability to be able to produce an airless book in the original manuscripts, but also his ability to preserve his word through the ages so that we could always have an airless book called the Bible. Today, he's done that through even the copying of Scripture. We believe that the authorized King James Version, based upon the manuscripts used to interpret into English, is the best and only version that we use here at Grace Point. May that never change, by the way. The way God works it, it's revelation, first of all. That's God revealing to mankind his word. The second thing is inspiration. That's God using, breathing on certain men to record, to write down his truth. He used 40 authors over 1,500 years to produce this book called the Bible. Then there's transmission. That's God superintending as men made the copies. And then there's canonization. That's God bringing all these scriptures, these books together to make it a special 66 books into one book called the Bible. Then there's preservation. That's God's protecting his word from defilement, from people adding to or subtracting from. He just wants his word to be known, not man's. Then there is translation. That's God using his God-breed protected manuscripts, the Hebrew text and the Greek text. And there are good texts and there are corrupt texts. We believe that King James Bible comes from the good text. <laughs> Matter of fact, 99% of the Greek texts available, that's where the King James Bible comes from. And so we can trust it with all of our hearts. When he translated it into English, when he did that, he used 50-plus giants of the faith back in the 1600s who knew multiple languages. One fellow knew 26 himself. They studied. They didn't have TV. They didn't have phones. They didn't have all the things that tie our time up today. They studied. And they used also local pastors to be able to come in and always make sure that this is the true word of God. And they translated it from the Hebrew and the Greek into the King James Bible of 1611. Then there's illumination. 
illumination. Uh, that's where God's spirit, he takes the word, not only does he place it in our mind and heart, but he helps us to have insight and understand what that truth is about. And so there are different ways that God has worked in order for us to be able to say, thus saith the Lord. We have the word of God. Now a question comes, how can we then grow and mature in our faith? Well, first of all, we have to be daily in the word of God. Uh, you, you can't grow unless you're in the word. Uh, Acts 17, verse 10 and 11 says, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Uh, it was a daily routine with these individual people. And daily repetition in Scripture is essential for proper spiritual growth. That's why we are to develop a routine, a habit. Uh, we have to try to make it part of our life. Now, it's not just when attending church. You can't get it if it, you... You just depend on attending church. It's supposed to be a daily thing, isn't it? There are a lot of people, they can quote their preacher, their priest, <laughs> their church, their denomination, but they can't quote why they believe what they believe through the word of God, and that's a real problem. And that results in them remaining trapped in spiritual childhood, immaturity, confusion, a babe in their faith and a babe in the faith that Paul has given us in his epistles. Hebrews 5 is so true. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are full of full age. They've grown up. They're mature, and so uh, they have the ability to discern what's good and what's evil. That's the point God wants us to get to. Now, as we study the Bible, we study, we study it rightly dividing. 2 Timothy 2.15, you know it well. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's so important. We, as a believer, we need to learn the dispensations so that we know what God is saying to us specifically for today. We love all the Bible. All the Bible is for us. We glean truths. We see God. We see so many things, but all the Bible was not written specifically to us as individuals outside of Paul's epistles. It's within Paul's epistles that we find out what God is doing with the body of Christ. That is us. Amen? And we see that he has a purpose and he has a plan for the body of Christ or for you if you've believed in the gospel. Now remember, this maturity thing, it's not about our own 
personal, it's not about only our own personal growth. Uh, God wants us to grow as other people grow. We're not in competition with other individual people. We're not trying to read or learn more than others. There are some people I've heard that they read through the Bible one to four times each year. I've heard some guy, he would read it once a month and then one for good measure. He'd read the Bible 13 times a year. And sometimes I've noticed that people say, well, I read the Bible through so many times, and they kind of use that to boast somewhat. <laughs> now, that's okay, but just reading the Bible doesn't always translate to growth and to spirituality. Rote reading or rote memory, <laughs> memorizing is less effective than studying and firsthand experiencing of doing what God's Word says to do. Some examples of that would be Romans chapter 12, verse 17, recompense to no man evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men, verse 21, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Have you ever actually applied that in a circumstance, in a situation in your own life? You see, when you do that in your own life, when somebody's done something bad to you, but you turn around and do something good to them, it's at that moment that verse becomes real to you. You've experienced what it said. And as a result, that lifts you up and begins to grow you. And then also Ephesians 4.32. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Have you ever personally experienced that in your own life? Have you ever forgiven anyone? Have you forgiven everyone? Some people were even mad at God. Have you forgiven yourself for being mad at not forgiving God? <laughs> it's interesting with people, isn't it? In the ministry, God gave me this verse. And he says, this is the way I want you to always be. Be an easy forgiver. I remember I had a big guy come in, and, and his wife came in with, and she was upset about us not allowing them to do something at their wedding in the church facilities. And uh, she was mad, and, and they said a few things to me. And I said to him, I says, well... Evidently, I have offended you. She said, yes, you have. <laughs> I said, well, I want you to know from my heart that I, I want you to know, please forgive me. That was not ever my intention. And she said, oh, no, that's too easy. <laughs> Some people want you to hurt for a while. You know what I mean? But God gave me the ability then. I've, in ministry, I've had many times where I have been hurt by people. And God has always given me, thank God, the grace to always be an easy forgiver. Then you can put your head on the pillow at nighttime, go to sleep. When you see those people, you don't have that unforgiveness un that leads to bitterness. You can go right up to them. Sometimes 
they haven't forgiven the situation or whatever, and I have them and so on, and they feel a little awkward me being there. I just go right up to them. I say, hey, how you doing? <laughs> you know, and they go, okay. <laughs> it's funny sometimes. But you experience that in your life, it becomes more real in your life. And then also 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Your situation is not unique. Other peoples have had this same thing before. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted, tested above that. Ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. You ever feel like you were in a box and you couldn't get out of it, the jam? Huh? There are a lot of people like that. I mean, they just said, I don't know what to do. Why don't you just trust that promise right there? Why don't you look when you think you're in that box and you look and what does God say? Because that's the way of escape is doing it God's way regardless of what problem I'm in. Amen? Then there's Galatians 5.17. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. This I say, then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Have you ever had that problem? If you're alive, you've had that problem. Where the spirit fights the flesh. Your flesh wants control. I have to have that. I just have to have that. Oh, I want that. I'm going to get that. But the Spirit says, you know, I don't think you ought to be doing that right now. There are other more important things you need. You don't need those new golf clubs right now at this moment. You know, you can play with those ones you got last year, you know, for another year at least. Amen. (laughs) And all of a sudden, you say yes to the Spirit of God. And as a result, you see that you can resist things that the flesh tries to bring up to you, whether they're temptations or whatever they might be. Then 2 Timothy 1.7, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He said, listen, I, I don't want you to have fear. Matter of fact, you ought to conquer any type of fear because you can trust me. You need to go from fear to faith. Faith in me, God said. One of the bad things I think that COVID has brought to us is a lot of people are afraid. I mean, they walk around fearful all the time. You know, God's a good God. You're not going home a day sooner or a day later. God's got a plan and a map for your life. I'm not saying be stupid. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying you can't walk around here wringing your hands and all fearful. You have a God who loves you, who watches over you. Amen? And if it's your time to go home, I don't care how many masks you wear, how many vaccines you have, how many people you stay away from, you're going home. Amen? And I see people fearful, and then I talk, with a guy, his name's Joe. He's from Pennsylvania. I hope he's watching this morning. And Joe, he's fighting cancer. But he's been watching us online. And he thanks us for having the program. 
and uh, the music and everything, the preaching and all this. And Joe told me yesterday, or uh, Friday, that he's not going to take any more medicine, do anything that they want. They're just going to have a nurse come by every now and then and try to help him. And Joe says, you wake up in the morning and you got all this trash you got to think about. <laughs> he says, but you know something? The Lord is good. I know where I'm going. And he has less than six months to live. So I want to say something to you. Joe, hang in there. God bless you. You're a testimony to me. And I'm proud of you for having faith. People walk around in fear. Thank you that you have faith. And I just pray God bless you greatly. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. In other words, that verse tells us that we are to practice helping people who have fallen. Not judge them. Not gossip about them. But we come to the decision, okay, they failed. So what? Everybody fails. What can I do to help them to take just the next step back to the Lord? You that are spiritual, that's what you're supposed to do. And so instead of gossiping about them and telling people how bad they are and how bad a thing they've done, why don't we put our arms around them and love them Say, yeah, we know that you've sinned, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And try to lift them up so that they can go on with their Christian walk and perhaps never, ever do anything like that again. I'd rather try to help somebody like that. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on earth. And I say to you, it's the things of the world or the things of Christ. That's your choice. Which one has your heart? I hope it's the things above. Okay? And then he says, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. You know, most people live their lives by their own opinions by what this person said, that person said, their feelings, what they see, their wants, but they don't live by faith. Faith is the substance of things not seen. You know, if we had faith, we wouldn't have any problem with creation. Well, my professor says, I don't care, faith. Uh, by faith, we understand that the worlds were created by the word of God. You see, they weren't there. Nobody was there except God. And God says, this is the way I did it. We have faith. We don't have any problem. And then also Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In whom ye also trusted Christ, after that ye heard the word of truth, faith cometh by hearing, the gospel, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye believed it was for you, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Romans 4.25, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Chapter 5, verse 1, therefore being justified by 
faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever, in a moment of time in your life, believed the death, burial, and resurrection, the gospel of Jesus Christ, was enough to save you, that you put your faith in him and his finished work for yourself? That's what God wants from us. If you haven't done that, you need to do that personally. Then it gets real. <laughs> Amen? And then Titus chapter 2, verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Philippians 3, 20, for our conversation, our behavior, uh, our destination, you could say, is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in our life, are we experiencing looking up? How many of you know this world is an evil world? Huh? It's a sick world. And uh, uh, this world wants to take you down because Satan is the god of this world. And uh, I hope that you're looking up because the believer, heaven is our hope. As a matter of fact, heaven is our home. That's where we're going to live. He said, keep looking up. And when we start doing that in our life, we begin to say, boy, I'd be glad when Christ comes. Scotty said, beam me up. Amen. Amen. And the reason a lot of people don't do that because their roots are too deep in this world. I know it's a balancing act. I know I want to stay faithful to Christ in my life and look for his coming. But also I know I have responsibility to my wife, my kids, my home, my job. And, but sometimes I get overactive with the things and cares of this world and I begin not to look as much for Christ or don't want to look as much for Christ. So it's a balancing act, isn't it? But that's where you're daily in the Word of God, you have the possibility of doing that. Now, these things are just application of God's Word working in our daily life. Not only do I read the Word, but I apply the Word to my life that day. That's what God wants from us. Is the Word of God so important to us? Yes, it is. It states in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, in, uh, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That verse right there is so important. That's telling us something there. It's powerful to work in our lives. His word works in our lives. The scriptures are supernatural because they are of God. God breathed and the word is powerful. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You tell me one thing the world can do that can reach something like that. Only the word of God can reach that deep, that complete, in an individual person's life. That's why we don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. We walk in the counsel of God's word because it can go where it needs to go. 
inside of each one of us. Amen? And then back to 16 again, the verse there. He says it's profitable for doctrine. That's teaching of the Word of God. That's where it gives us the foundation of truth. And within the context there, it's body truth contained in Paul's epistles. It's body truth that was a secret, but now it's been revealed to the Apostle Paul for us, the body of Christ. And then he says in verse 16, for reproof. In other words, the Word of God has the ability to refute, convince wrongdoing. Because the word of God is the absolute standard that tells us what is right and what is wrong. I don't need culture to tell me what is right, what is wrong. I have the word of God that tells me that. And if the word conflicts with the culture, men ought to obey God rather than man. Amen? Amen. Yeah, that was good right there. I know that. I wanted to go, woo, just for fun. For correction. This is the big reason people don't like the Bible. The Bible corrects us when we do wrong. And the reason man doesn't like it, because men love darkness rather than light. Amen? And then it says there, for instruction for righteousness. I looked up this word instruction and it has the idea of divine discipline. I, I, I like that. Meaning, if we don't correct our sinful living, God's going to help us make it happen. Amen? In other words, God has the ability, if he wants to, thank God for mercy and grace, but if he wants us to take us to the woodshed <laughs> and apply the Board of Education. Have you ever been in that situation, circumstance in your life? I have. Oh, boy. He's taken me down on numbers of occasions. And he does that because he loves us. He chastens those whom he loves. And so he corrects us so we'll stop reaping the wrong. We reap what we sow. And he wants us to reap good. But we have to live good to reap good. Amen? Now, this is important here. Verse 17. Now, we've seen it's powerful to work in our lives in the Word of God, verse 17. That the man of God may be perfect, that means mature, truly furnished unto all good works. The Word of God, it's the main part of our learning. It's the main part of our faith, our obedience, our changing, and are maturing. And God wants us to be fully grown up, completely mature. That's what God wants from us. And notice this. Then, when I'm getting mature in the Lord, then that makes us usable. Then we are prepared. Then we are credible. Then we are equipped to work for the things of God. I remember when I was first asked, and a fellow who did this has passed since then, but I was first asked to teach the junior boys, University Heights. 
and I taught the junior boys at that time. Then I was asked to teach the junior high kids. So me and Carol taught the junior high boys and girls. Over here at First Southern, I taught junior high boys and girls there, but then I was asked to take the youth group. And we had great youth group, we had 100 kids. And, I mean, it was unbelievable what was going on. We saw a lot of people saved, but I was still young in the Lord as far as my Bible knowledge. I had quit school when I was 16. I was dumb as a box, box of rocks. Carol still tutors me with my English. Uh, I think she will until, until it's over. <laughs> she says, Jimmy, let me tell you about a word you said in church. And, uh, you know, and I'm glad she does that, by the way, because I, I don't want to say stupid words. <laughs> I have the ability to create words. <laughs> so anyway, uh, when I was teaching the youth group, I, I, I went and got my GED. But I, I felt God was burdening my heart to do it full time. And it's God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And, and so uh, I knew I needed more biblical education. So I took off and went to Tennessee Temple. Graduated from Tennessee Temple. Then came back, started the church. Was at that church for 28, 29 years, but in... At the end of my 28th year, going in my 29th year, God began to say, it's now, in a sense, as I look back, he's not verbally talking to me, but I'm sensing that, okay, you can handle rightly dividing now. Now, once you start learning about that. It seems like it never ends. It seems like you go from faith to faith, from glory to glory, from faith to faith. And as you're in that process, you are growing and you are maturing. So I say to you this morning, as a church, the King James Version is the best Bible there is. I've noticed over the years that as new translations have come in, Christianity and Christendom has spiraled downward. Seems like there is a dumbing down. There's a word that's being used today in a lot of political circles, equity. All's going to be the same. Same jobs, the same salaries, and it's taken away achievement. And it's always when somebody is achieving something, they see the other people can't achieve what they're achieving, so they lower their standards down. So everybody can seem like they're achieving. And that punishes the achievers. Well, they've done that with the King James Bible and its language. Do you know they used to use the Bible as an English book in our country for years because of the perfectness of the Elizabeth English language? But the versions keep lowering down language and as a result you see it going downhill fast I'm about to close here first Timothy 4 7 but refuse profane and old wives fables myths and exercise thyself 
rather unto godliness. That word exercise means to discern, to discipline, to practice, be willing to suffer agony, to actively pursue, to fight for the faith, the truth. In other words, get with it and fight for your maturity. Exercise yourself unto godliness. And when you're putting the word of God, it's you knowing what the truth is. It's at that moment you have the mind of Christ because Christ is the word of God. And as you're putting the word of God, you're putting Christ into your mind. We have the mind of Christ that then gives me the ability to try to live a godly life. That's what he wants from us. In college, some students, they audit a class. They want the information. They want to learn without the responsibility. No action, no homework, no test. They only want its knowledge without the work. <laughs> and there are some believers who come to church who like to learn, be inspired without the work or responsibility to have to do anything to mature. I said it right then, Lord. They didn't respond, right? That's exactly truth. And too many of us are guilty of that. Now, we may do what the college kids try to do. We may, we may try to audit our Christian walk. <laughs> but always remember when in college they would audit a class, they never got any credit for it because they didn't fulfill any of the requirements the, the, the course demanded. And when you try to audit the Christian life, you may even get more knowledge, but you won't be maturing. You won't be changing in your life. And that's because maturing, growing, transformation that comes through the Word has to be activated by obedience, application, and faith in that word that we have learned. It doesn't do me any good to learn it if I'm not trying to apply it. Amen? Without obedience, faith, working out the word, our life becomes only informational. Without credit, without growth, without change, without reward. I close, my third closing, 2 Timothy 2, and I am. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity or sin. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, meet, for the, ready for the master's use, and prepared unto every 
good work. God's just waiting on some believers who will not only read the word, but try to live the word out. And as you do that, you begin to grow, you begin to mature, and God will give you further light for you to go toward. And God will use you, whether it's at work, whether it's at school, whether it's your neighborhood. God will use you because now you have a credible faith testimony that other people can see. I don't know about you. I want to be a vessel of honor. Huh? I don't want to just live this life and just glad I'm going to heaven. That's it. When I stand before God, I want to have done something for God because of what he did for me. It's not because I have to. It's because I want to. I want to bless him. I want to honor him. I want to be that vessel of honor. I don't want to be a vessel of dishonor. And that's a choice. That's your choice. If you choose that you're just going to go on and be anything that you want to be, it'd be a sad day one day because you had the potential to be able to do something great for God. And the great thing about it is, it's not about how smart we are, how rich we are, how good looking we are, how poor we are, whatever. It's about the individual making a choice. I was bought with the price. Therefore, I'm going, going to glorify God with my life. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. May we grow in it. And not just understand it, but also apply it to our life so that we can grow, so we can mature and become complete in truth. And Lord, I've learned that as we do this with our life, our home, our marriages, our families are a lot more happier. They're more blessed. <laughs> Even when we go through hard times and trials, we have faith in you. What a wonderful gift you've given us. May we never neglect so great salvation. Be with our people. Give them a wonderful day. We love them and just pray that you'd unify our hearts together to go forward toward you. May we be the ones who choose. It's going to be God first. In Jesus' name. And everybody said. We hope that you received a blessing from today's broadcast. We would love to have you to visit us in person. You can watch us live and view past services on our website at gpnd.net. For more information, please visit our website or contact us by phone. Until next week, may God richly bless you as our prayer.